0: Uh, Welcome back to everyone to No Name Podcast. This is our international series where we invite cybersecurity experts from all over the world to discuss cyber domain of the war, uh, make new connections for Ukrainian infosec community, and uh, learn uh, from our colleagues abroad. Our guest today is Kenneth Gears. Dr. Gears is uh, an external communications analyst at Very Good Security, which is a startup that Anyone working in FinTech knows very well. He serves, uh, served for 20 years in U.S. government, in the Army, the NSA, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, and uh, NATO. He also had been a visiting professor at Taras Shevchenko National University of Kiev in Ukraine for four years since 2014. Uh, Mr. Gears was uh, the first U.S. representative to the NATO Cooperative uh, Cyber Defense Center of Excellence in Estonia, where, among other things, he edited the book, Cyber War in Perspective, Russian Aggression Against Ukraine, written back in 2015. Uh, So not in 2022, back in 2015. So Mr. Gears, thank you for all your work, uh, for all your support as well, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and uh, just to help out in, in any way I can.
0: You've written a lot of stuff about cyber warfare and to, I think, surprise of many people, it actually dates way back before it was a mainstream, I would say, right? So your probably your first book would be the virtual uh, battlefield uh, perspectives on cyber warfare, which is written back in 2009. So um, did you think that cyber war is going to look like it does today already back then? Or um, basically, what was your vision at the time and did it change like?
1: Right. So it's funny, I was uh, intelligence analyst in government, US government for 20 years from 93 to 2013. And then I've spent about the past 10 years in the private sector doing similar work. Um, in 2001, I went to Black Hat and DEFCON in Las Vegas. And, and I thought, you know, I, I, I'd like to talk about the intelligence side of things. And so in 2003, I actually had my first cyber war talk at, picked up at Black Hat and Def CON, And so I, I talked about, um, along with a professor who specializes in nuclear affairs, we talked about uh, cyber war. And, and one of the things we talked about was that it would be societal, uh, it would not just affect the, the the government, but that it would affect people and banks and um, um. Before I guess people were talking about you know social media, the the big case study we looked at in two thousand three was the Arab Israeli conflict and how. People were participating, for example, in denial of service attacks by just downloading tools and then letting their computer uh, run that sounds them. familiar uh, Yeah uh, without you, know, without really knowledge of how the tool works, etc. And so you know some some things have incredibly evolved over the past you know, five years even. Uh, and some things over the past 20 seem to be the same. Uh, but small bit of biography, I guess one of the things that for me was huge, uh, in 2007, I was the lucky analyst at the Pentagon who they asked to go to Estonia, uh, in the spring and write a report on what was happening there. And the funny thing is I didn't leave for four years, right? I went there in 2007 and I left in 2011. And, uh, And of course, that was also, as so many other case studies we have, related to Russia. And not only related to Russia, but pushing the boundaries of what, you know, a computer network operation can do in terms of influencing affairs at the level of international relations. Wired Magazine famously called it Web War One, right, in 2007 you know, meaning that it was a cyber attack that was supposed to intimidate uh, or coerce uh, another country uh, into doing something. And so, you know, that idea we're somewhat familiar with now. But in t- 2007, NATO didn't really want to talk about it. You know, Estonia said, we're under cyber attack, we need help. And in Brussels, they, they you know, so many people, smart people, but they they didn't really, they weren't prepared to talk about a new type of warfare uh, that is hard to understand, that is difficult to um, to respond to. right? So that's a little bit, you know, in answer to your question, I think that that um, for me as an intelligence analyst in government, uh, I you know, nobody's going to hire me for my hacker skills uh, or coding skills. But I've written many reports on the, uh, what we call attribution, who did it, or what they were after, you know, what the hackers were after in, you know, uh, because so so many of the early cyber espionage campaigns were just about stealing information. So you had mm-hmm. to learn, uh, you know, via search terms and via, you know, um, where the attacks were who the bad guy might be, right? And so, you know, all of that was fascinating uh, to see. As the attacks evolved, of course, the, the, the buttons that the attackers are trying to push, they get so much more intimate and societal, I think, because if you compare Estonia in 2007 to Ukraine in in uh 2014 2015 uh time frame there's an enormous difference in terms of the targets and the intimacy of the targets uh, you know Estonia was a lot about distributed denial of service attacks and 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 the kind of the the ability to take out, you know, uh, a bank or a newspaper at a at the uh, you know, f- prevent people from seeing something in a browser. Uh, but in Ukraine, uh, 2013, 14, 15, already cyber attacks were able to reach an individual person. Uh, so I'll just stop there and say that some of what I've seen is is an you know not only a uh, a growth in in the the, de- the desires and the hopes and dreams of an attacker, but the ability to ch- to touch someone individually, right, and to 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 take a particular account and try and do something with it, um, you know. One of the best examples, I think, is in 2022, the Facebook uh, accounts of Ukrainian officers were taken over and then used to try and tell a subordinate to do something, to lay down their weapons or to uh, to surrender. So yeah. I'll, I'll stop there and, and just try the, and answer the, your question the, in a broad, broad... No,
0: uh, absolutely. That's a very broad question, indeed. And uh, to, to your last point, there's been a lot uh, of such cases, both... Um, targeted for it, military personnel, but also just uh, in, in my own uh, native city, um, a small provider was hacked and then uh, SMS messages were sent out that, you know, Russia is here to help and stuff like that. And so, in, yeah, go ahead. We have Alex joining.
2: Alex. Yes, we, we
0: finally have Alex out of everyone uh, hey guys, uh, I online. Yeah, but, the the Californian Internet infrastructure is the one that kind of uh, didn't work for us as expected, yeah. not the it Ukrainian human world, factor, which is yeah, great. The Internet, the internet
2: is, is back into the US. <laughs> I, j- I just wanted to ask Kenneth from from this. Um, go down. like. <laughs> Uh, with no uh, respect to our agenda so j- j- can we drill into your personal experience observing all this stuff happening because for me the real deal has started actually in georgia because there russia effectively uh surpassed the threshold of uh, war right what happened before was was just some some militarish activity but still under uh, the definition of cyber war whatever it is because no war is happening you cannot you cannot say that cyber war is going in parallel but in georgia it was from one side less efficient not because the toolkit was uh the russian toolkit was less efficient russian russian strategy was uh worse defined Uh, nothing really changed in two years but the Georgian dependence on digital services was much lower than Estonia, right? So it it was effective in Estonia for subjective, for intrinsic reason. Estonians were much more... were were using technology in government and in public, uh, in civil critical infrastructure, much more intensive than, than Georgian did. But then they entered the arena i mean the cyber divisions or cyber forces of russia entered the arena of uh, russian ukrainian war they in my opinion did a little bit more but of the same right maybe much more but definitely of the same thing without actually pursuing any coherent strategy from the beginning so they they supported some activities of their forces on the ground but did not use cyber force to achieve anything on their own yeah some anything strategical do you think that's because they just don't know how to do it or do you think that uh, the opinion that uh, cyber just inherently cannot achieve anything strategical is true
1: i think that this you're speaking of Georgia in 2008 or Ukraine in 2022?
2: No, no. I'm just trying to compare what happened to Estonia, to Georgia, and now to Ukraine. And I do not really see the difference. You know, they just do more of the same stuff. They do not progress technologically. They do not uh, hmm. They do not show any sign of uh, coherent strategy, right? And they, they just do it, do it, do it, and do it, and they cannot... Or do not wish or just hold them back from getting to another level to to do something via cyberspace, something big on on its own, you know? and i'm tr- I'm trying to figure out what could be the reason for that because you're obviously much more knowledgeable about what's going on.
1: Well, for me, I think a couple of really big stories uh, are the, you know, why we haven't seen some kind of decisive cyber attack. yeah, they, they may not exactly. exist, right? Okay. So they, it's possible that there's no such thing as you know a decisive cyber attack. It's just you know it's it's kind of like hoping to win you know, war even with special forces or with uh-huh. electronic warfare, you know pre-cyber. It's an element of warfare, but it's not going to be decisive. And you know, at the risk of, of um, analogizing poorly, I think you know, in in Pearl Harbor, you you could describe it as a striking success, right, from a Japanese military perspective, and a strategic failure from a Japanese military perspective. The possibility that you w- you would be seduced into uh, striking first via cyber or, or another way is is always there i think right whether you're in a bar after too many drinks or you know you you have a uh, a powerful cyber tool that, that you could unleash so it's it's possible that cyber attacks are just overstated and they're okay. they're, they're overhyped <laughs> and so that's one of the stories i think of this war i think uh, the, it's- the, the, the
2: guys guys know know why i do it because i'm cool. i just have a natural tendency to make people say these things <laughs> as frequently as possible on our show, sure. because when I'm repeating that all over again, it, no one is listening to me. So I'm trying uh-huh. to get as many people as possible to support this idea. Thank you right. very
1: much. Sure, I I think there's a, another way to put it uh, and another way to maybe understand it is, and again, I, I don't want to in any way diminish Ukraine's uh, absolute decisive role in determining its own path and its own future and, its, and, and having achieved its own successes without anybody's help. But one, one of the stories I think is the, the evolution of cyber defense uh, over the past 20 years. And that's one element. And another is the relatively strong cohesion of the EU and NATO uh, during this crisis. So if you're if you're sitting in Moscow and you're wondering you know where do I launch my, my cyber weapon, uh, it's been relatively difficult I think mm-hmm. uh, since February 24th because you've got a, a you've got a, a, an, an EU slash NATO national security understanding that is relatively strong and unified, I think. Right. We've got our exceptions, you know, we've got Orban and we are worried about the Italian elections. And and, you know, there, there's, you know, so it's not 100 percent. But uh, again, the 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 example of uh, Finland and Sweden, you know, joining uh, uh, NATO, as well as, you know, not only NATO providing support, but the EU pro- providing cyber support, you know, of, mm-hmm. of a tangible nature to to Ukraine. I think it's hard for from Moscow's perspective to know where to attack, right? Um but I think that we have seen tons of so so uh, I, I edited this book uh, in in two thousand and fifteen and then I tried to collect the articles in two thousand and twenty two that talked about um, computer network operations in the in the uh, uh, context of the current conflict. Mm -hmm. And I do see, we see so many examples, right? So that's one of the things I wrote into the 2015 introduction was that it seemed like each of the authors had 20 authors, right? I think 18 chapters. And so many of them said that there wasn't a decisive cyber attack. But yet in each of the chapters were probably multiple events were explored and discussed incidents. So we know that the, the, I think, computer network operations are plentiful, right? There's a lot to look at if you, uh, if you collect them all uh, for analysis. I think probably over the past 20 years too, the digital or the cyber or computer network operations units within militaries, within intelligence organizations uh, have probably been the fastest growing around the world. Right. If you look at three letter agencies and you look at militaries and and you just looked where where the relative spending has gone. You know, I I do. I don't want to disrespect CNO, computer network operations or cyber war, uh, because I think that planners and and, uh, strategic thinkers, uh, both, uh, you know, the tactical level and Decision maker level, I think they get it. They see the value in this because it's extremely art of war, right? You you know, when Sun Tzu's writing about winning the conflict before uh, you have to actually shed blood or defending re- without knowing where your uh, opponent is going to attack, that sort of thing. They they're all um, they all seem to give a window and an opening to computer network operations, right? Uh, in other words, if you look at the. US presidential election in 2016, in this case, Russia was able to uh, dramatically affect the course of events, you know by attacking one political party and uh, releasing documents that were embarrassing to that political party at strategically opportune times during mm-hmm. the campaign. Was it decisive in determining the um, the winner of the election? I th- I think we don't know. It's we can't possible. be
0: sure ever. Yeah,
1: can't be sure, right? Uh, and so uh, that would be an example, maybe the of the you know, it, it's possible that was the biggest hack in history, right? If you could successfully put the wrong person in the White House for four years.
2: But- but, but, but by different assessments, uh, it wasn't decisive at all. But uh, don't you think it doesn't really matter? Don't you think that the main reason they actually did it was uh, just signaling? Because it, it, the Russian cyber is so free, you know, and, and, and um, defying all constraints and trying to maybe even uh, intentionally, to demonstrate to all the strategic adversaries that they are not conforming to any norms and don't have intention to do so, don't you think that trying to influence the election? I would say unrestrained, is, a plan ins-
0: free to Russia just feels weird. Sorry? I would say unrestrained because no, un- i free to rush yeah, it exa- just feels exactly, weird.
2: Exactly. I was trying to to, 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 to find the, the appropriate word to describe their i don't know it's not sloppiness, I, I think it's intentional, you know, they just just to show off uh, what they can do and they will do it, whatever you think uh, they're wrong or right. The, the UN can Uh, agree on cyber norms, uh, however they want, but uh, we will attack critical infrastructure, we will harm civilians, we will uh, try to affect your legitimate democratic processes. Sure.
1: No, I I think so. I think all those things have been demonstrated in, in, uh, especially in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so in Estonia in 2007, I think, you know, I had a chance to interview, you know, many uh, cybersecurity experts at that time. I was—I wrote a report for the Pentagon in 2007. A number of people described it as an experiment, and, and used the word signaling, which is, you know, mm-hmm. really interesting. I think testing of the waters, um, testing of constraints—can they see us? You know, what can they prove, what can they do uh, in response. And of course, the US government has, has experimented in its own way uh, with you know, naming the personnel uh, in Russia, in China, in North Korea, and in Iran, naming the units, naming the personnel, um, and showing their faces. Right uh, on on the internet, and and that's one of the ways that the United States has retaliated by saying we you know we can see you, we know exactly who you are, you know. which
2: doesn't seem seem to work, you know. <laughs> this kind of deterrence, it's it's it may work in other places, in places hmm. where governments actually tend to confirm to the norms, right. But sure. I think in Russia, China, or North Korea or Iran, it just doesn't work
1: that's right i I, I think you're that's correct in one of the things I worry about is a, a dictatorship, as we see in in the Kremlin it, it just spirals downward, right it, there, there's nothing positive to offer either the world or russia I think I, mm-hmm. um so you're you're constantly um surprised by the what a, a trapped cat might do uh <laughs> you know and and we know you know what what any of us would do you know if we you know were trapped in a, in a cage and uh you know we would you know, seek to defend our ourselves so so it could be that things will get worse and i think that's you know of course we know from like uh, the u.s perspective i think there's some fear that well maybe more so from from an EU perspective the a fear of things getting out of control uh, and a desire not to, uh, you know, poke the bear and unnecessarily, you know, and keep things uh, somewhat uh, contained. you know there's this word containment you know uh in international relations that you know is referring to managing the problem
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: balancing the problem uh without making things worse um you know and of course you know right now I, th- I think you know especially maybe in berlin you know that's one of the toughest questions you know for uh you know the chancellor i think in berlin is um And and I think they're going to have to decide, right, on the side of Ukraine, because it's such a clear, moral and ethical choice, I think, where we need to place our support, political and financial and military. It
2: sounds great, but unfortunately, international politics is is not always based on morals and ethics. It should also be efficient, right? So this decision should be supported by by real action that will make this uh, more decisive. Otherwise, otherwise there will be no uh, no sense in it. So I, I'm really much enjoying the discussion, but I think that we have uh, <laughs> a lot of other topics uh, right. on our agenda today. So. Ruslan, I think, yeah,
0: I, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, one of the big things about kind of Russian cyber and cyber in general is that people build this um, uh, idealistic idea, you know, that when superpower unleashes like cyber Ex- war. Expectation. It's, yeah. yeah, or expectation, right. When superpower unleashes cyber war, it's, you know, everything goes dark and Ukraine is fully disconnected from the Internet and like everything's hacked, you, you cannot use a single system. Uh, and in reality, that's not what they see. And I think the explanations might be simpler than than other things because that's also like cyber is not that special compared to any other domain, and we didn't see such a you know obliterating advantage in in just conventional warfare, and so the same was in cyber. Like they had some su- successes, unfortunately they had many attacks, uh, many of them failed. So as a result, it's just uh, just a mess that, you know, created during the uh, warfare. Uh, and so uh, it, it's not as um, ideal uh, of a warfare. It, it, it's just one of the domains that, that uh, plays a role. Uh, but basically your, your report or rather the report that you edited on cyber war in perspective right back in 2015, it already started after um, initial invasion uh, by Russia. But back then they at least tried to hide their um you know kinetic and uh i don't know conventional warfare in ukraine and so you would expect that it was more heavily uh, kind of they would put more stakes on on the cyber aspect so uh was there what was your biggest surprise during the time when you kind of analyzed their activities was there something unexpected something surprising
1: so one of the things that happened in the in the publishing of that book was we released it in december of 2015 uh, and most of the authors, I would say, mentioned in their chapters that there had been no dramatic attack that changed the nature of the the game. But it was just really a couple of weeks before the the Christmas uh, attack of 2015 uh, in Ukraine, right, where the Electricity grid in the West was had been manipulated, um, and then in the spring of 2016, when I was uh, living in Kiev, I don't think I've ever got so many emails from cybersecurity experts around the world wondering if I had any, you know, good friends who could shed light on what had happened. So that truly was the event. You know, it was almost like we we published the book about two weeks, you know, at NATO. Uh, before the the you know the christmas attack uh, of 2015 uh nirvana Frank- Frankivsk. and so you know there's so many firsts in in cyber right um yeah. you know i i um you know i was in Estonia in, in 2007 when the question was uh, article 5 of NATO's charter, which says, you know, it's all for one and one for all concept and come to the defense of an ally in need. Um, And so, uh, you know, Estonia said, hey, we're under attack. And nobody really wanted to talk about it. And as usual, Estonia was a little bit ahead of its time, right? In terms of, digital it has been for a long time you know the mm-hmm. highest percentage of you know online voting etc there's many many things that estonia has done well you know including you know being the recipient of of this nation state sort of attack in in 27 which was one of the first uh you know rubicons you know in the war. but, but of well, they, course
2: yeah. ukraine it wasn't it because uh, simply uh, the battle damage assessment of Estonian incident uh did not result in accepting this as a, a surpassing of threshold of military action and which which naturally did not lead to to any escalation and maybe some covert action has happened but we just don't know, because when uh, the U.S., the U.K., and NATO, and Israel, <laughs> for that matter, do that, we, we we realize that it ever happened a couple of decades <laughs> uh, afterwards, you know? Is, can, could it be the case that the, the retaliation was applied, but we just don't know?
1: Yeah, of course. And that's, you know, when it comes to, I think, cyber arms control and deterrence uh, in this space, it's really interesting. A couple of times the United States has said we will respond to this cyber attack, for example, in the Sony case, um, Mm -hmm. North Korea, we will respond in a time and place of our choosing Uh, And there was there was a time in which uh, uh, shortly thereafter in which North Korea was knocked off uh, the Internet. Yeah. So for sure, the space has all kinds of um, opportunity for experimentation, for signaling, uh, testing the waters, etc. But for deterrence to work, it really needs to be visible. Right. So you want um, you know, like you know, another oil tycoon in Moscow has jumped out of a window, <laughs> right? You you want people to see and to yeah. fear, right? In other words, if if nobody knows uh how you you know responded, then nobody will believe you actually uh, responded. Yeah, got to
0: demonstrate uh, the capabilities.
2: Yeah, I have to yeah, remember so there... about the internal politics stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. So there, you know, sometimes you 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 ha- you what. It's for the world to see, and, and I think sometimes with cyber attacks, too, um, it could be that if it's in the news, there there may have been a calculation that that was desirable, right? For a, mm-hmm. a demonstration purpose, um, because there's probably, you know, for every, you know, one computer network operation you see, uh, there may be, you know, X number that are unseen, Um and that's really interesting, right? To to know that in general you you probably want to keep your stealth and surprise uh, in in this space, but when it comes to warfare, and so there's going to be you know a thousand you know PhDs written on you know the cyber aspect of the current war in Ukraine, mm-hmm. in part because because it's a there's a hot war going on a real war. Mm-hmm. Um, the attackers are, they have less of a desire maybe to, uh, retain their anonymity, but also less in, of an ability to Right. the, the operational tempo is just too high and the pressures are too, uh, strong to, to spend the time to hide right in, in the, mm-hmm. net, you, you have to try and accomplish some goal quickly or update your malware, uh, too fast right? uh, at this time because uh, you have somebody telling you, you know, we need this done today. Um, And so that's going to provide a lot of I've done some sort of data science on very large malware sets. And so if there's an event uh, like an election, uh, I took uh, actually the couple of summits that Trump had uh, in Finland with Putin and in Singapore with Kim Jong-un. Uh, and I collected a bunch of malware in locally gathered around in, you know, on site in Singapore and in Finland. And so the, the quantity and the complexity of the malware was very interesting uh, when you have cases like that. Uh, w- one study I did, you know, when they, um, uh, I think this was in 20, maybe 17 or 18, when the Ukrainian uh ship was seized and the, the, the sailors seized as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did, because that was a, a kind of a, um, it was an event that was sudden and unexpected, right? Uh, so then I went and I collected a bunch of malware in Ukraine and Russia uh, during that period. And there was a, a wealth of things to look at. Uh, you could plot it on a heat map uh, from, you know, whatever time of day, I think it was maybe in the morning, when the event happened and so you can see the cyber spies jumping in quickly to try and gather information and they would be coming from you know a couple of dozen countries i think Mm -hmm. but uh, with a large malware sets you can absolutely see the response to international relations anything geopolitical is a magnet for malware that's for sure and so in ukraine today i think the you know the pressures uh for russian hackers to achieve some result is going to be high enough they're going to make a lot of mistakes or they're not going to be able to hide right uh mm-hmm. they and we've seen it in terms of attribution uh in this conflict uh you know microsoft and the us government have very quickly come out and said it's russian gru hackers mm-hmm. right uh, that are responsible for this and so it, it, the political desire as well uh, a lot of attribution is just do you want to state what you know politically, is, you know, because there's an element in which, uh, you know, the, the technical piece may be done, uh, but do you want to, you know, burn your your sources and methods yeah. or... or yeah, that's, that's,
2: that's exactly what uh, uh, brings us back to why we don't see more of it, more of uh, new and interesting stuff. Do you think that in their attempts to maintain high operational tempo, they may have burned all the presence they had in the infrastructures. And uh, we can assume that until this point, we basically saw everything. Or just from the other point of view, it could be quite the opposite, that they just hold back the presence they have, right and uh, we are not seeing a lot of event based operations a lot of impact actual offensive actions because they are trying to maintain the presence in the critical infrastructure just just to be sure that they still have the opportunity to apply effect in the future which one of those two strategies you think is more plausible
1: i think the first because you know things have gone really poorly for Russia. I think, mm-hmm. you know, from a strategic perspective, and uh, uh, and now I think they have run out of ideas in a tactical sense as well. So they there's going to be incredible pressure, I think, on uh, you know on Russian officers that are you know on the ground in Ukraine, but also Russian hackers that are supposed to you know have some results in cyberspace mm-hmm. the pressure is going to be incredible so i don't really see why they would be holding back at this point because all eyes are going to be on them yeah um, and, and, so,
0: and another thing and sorry for jumping into like to answer a question instead of asking but i think also uh, another thing is that uh, pretty much every ukrainian cybersecurity uh, company jumped in to help and also a lot of our partners across the board so even when If they have some capability hidden somewhere, right? Every single hour, there is more and more likelihood of it being discovered and not used at all. So it would make sense for them to use it like all at once while they still can.
2: Uh, It doesn't really make much sense, but it sounds very optimistic. So (laughs) you get me on board. (coughs) But uh, as we mentioned, the broad support of the general public and the cybersecurity companies. Kenneth, what do you think? is going on in Russia regarding this. So do we see a lot of privatization of uh, cyber ops? Because developing the toolkits, right? The actual cyber weapons. Yeah, it, it's well known that uh, basically like all the successful Russian companies in the, one way or another contribute to to the capabilities of Russian Um, cyber operatives i mean like state sponsored officers of gru fsb svr etc but do you think they might be tempted to uh, use private companies not only to develop the software and uh, weaponize exploits but actually conduct cyber operations because there are some. There is some evidence <laughs> in open sources that some of the Russian cybersecurity companies are already doing that. What's your point on this? I without think- without any speculation, if, if you have anything to say, please yeah, go on. Yeah. If not,
1: I think that that um, you know the world has a real problem with the dictatorship and autocracy i think um and i can speak as an american as well i'm really worried about uh the situation in the united states i mean i think we need mm-hmm. to really be thinking about how to strengthen democracy uh and how to restrain our autocratic tendencies or our uh, our vulnerability to you know to strongman you know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. rule we've got it as much as anybody it looks like to me um so, but I think that that dictatorships, I think also have in incredible vulnerabilities, right paranoia, i think mm-hmm. uh and uh control that is obsessive and uh um, will. Um, ultimately, uh, lead to you know a the, the downfall of the dictator. Um, the, the problem is
2: of uh, expertise, right? So, so positive selection based on loyalty, not the not the capability. Absolutely, right? that's
1: yes. right. That's right. That's that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and in a, 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 a incredible fear and and a lack of trust, right? So, so one of the things that we need, like for example, in, in the United States. Uh, is trust in law enforcement, trust in intelligence, but we've you know recently had a an autocratic ruler who was doing everything he <laughs> could to chip away right at, at trust because he didn't want. It still,
2: still might have in twenty twenty
1: four. Yeah, and, and so um, so dictators don't want you to you know to uh, they, they distrust expertise, they distrust independence, uh, peer review. You know, like in in um, you know in academia, you know, you're supposed to write a paper and then pass it around to to friends and and they critique it and and uh, um, you know dictators are, are are terrified of that, so they don't do it. Uh, and then it leads to poor decision making. Um so I, I think you know, just like you know when 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 Stalin refused to um you know believe uh, intelligence officers who were telling him you know, that Hitler was going to invade the Soviet Union, you know, dictators and and autocrats they they're going to wind up in a a negative. Uh, cycle, right, of Mm -hmm, mm decision-making that is ultimately self-destructive, we hope, you know, sooner rather than later. So in 2020 in Belarus, I think, uh, when, you know, we were all hoping that in Minsk they would have a successful, you know, successor to Maidan, right, and uh, force, uh, you know, Lukashenko to Siberia, Um. I think maybe you know it was close. I think, but ultimately put down through torture and violence and uh, um, you know brutal methods. That's one one thing I'd like to say about Ukraine is that what a story! What an incredibly positive story! That I mean, how many businesses fail? You know, how many uh, would be revolutions fail? Uh, But yet, you know, in in 2014, I think, you know, the Ukrainians stood up and said no, and it was successful and it's incredible. What an incredible story. So I think that that um, a dictator like Putin has a lot of trouble with successful attack because a successful attack requires a strategic you know calculation that has taken everything into account but the dictators can't and
0: detached from reality yeah
1: yeah, it, dictators are detached from reality. They also have only a menu of bad options,
0: right?
2: So but uh, they they have some options. They can say, "Okay, give me some cyber." I do I do not expect from Putin or from his close uh, decision making entourage to understand anything about cyber, right? The guy doesn't doesn't own a computer or a smartphone, right? So he says uh, cyber in his imagination, cyber is something you can do like spy style, right? So, I go to my intelligence officers and say, Give me cyber. They say, Okay, we got some cyber, we will give it to you. That's that's the group's approach to, to, to things, yes. Yeah? So, it's from his words, this is how they operate. They think that cyber is something tangible and we can get some. Me give some me cyber, cyber <laughs> give me cyber once, give me cyber two, two, two times, three times, four times. We are out of cyber. What can we do? okay, we have cyber companies, let's go to them and ask them to give us some cyber. I think that that's exactly what's happening. I'm just trying to maybe get some uh, some um, confirmation or, more importantly, if, if that's a delusion, if that's nothing uh, close to what's happening, to get some counter-arguments and not to be delusional, delusional anymore. Because the, the, the brain drain from Russia is obvious. Mm. like thousands of capable people are just are just leaking right they they just they run for life and <laughs> good for them okay mm. but there are still some people left and uh, some of them cannot leave for different reasons and some of them are good in cyber right <laughs> oh, <laughs> so sure. why not mobilize them and uh, use uh, public uh, use private sector cyber for public purposes do, do, do you think something something similar is happening or they are not at that level of understanding even
1: well i, I think it must be happening uh, it's only logical uh, mm-hmm. but yet i do think the limitations of dictatorship and autocracy are clear mm-hmm. right one won't uh-huh. be
2: able to apply it efficiently anyway
1: exactly there'll mm-hmm. be there'll be uh, strategic failure uh, that cannot be uh, anticipated mm-hmm. and some people I, I imagine uh within uh you know dictatorships are they are actively uh, just like you know winston smith in 1984 they're going to be working against putin mm-hmm. right for, because they are going to think this is bad for my country um and they're hoping for better for russia i think and so and the the talent will be younger. The talent will be more educated, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, uh, criminals yeah, more, and more are prone to sabotage, assassins. <laughs> you know, they're they're probably not the best coders or hackers, right? Yeah. Uh, so there will be some, of course. It's a big country, um, <clears throat> but you know the kind of of trust and the kind of uh, investment that's required for a successful strategic enterprise. It, it it's not going to be there.
2: <clears throat> okay. Of
1: course, Russia is Good such a hear. big country. <laughs> I'm sorry. Good to hear. Yeah, of course, such as Russia is such a big country. We still all have to worry. You know, it's 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 a bear, yeah. and of course, in the case of China, it's a dragon. But I would think that the um, China Taiwan, China looking at what has happened. Uh, in Ukraine, I would think that it's possible that they've drawn the wrong uh, conclusions and that they might need to pull the, uh, the trigger sooner rather than later. But I would think that in Beijing, they are also correctly seeing this as as a failure. And the, the response uh, has been, I think, um, strong. Surprising. It's surprising
2: for me to hear because uh, my my impression was that Putin's analysts just have stolen what China, I mean, People's Republic of China might have uh, in their files about how they will quickly and decisively invade Taiwan, right? Mm. And just applied that plan, that file. To the wrong place and wrong time, trying to sure. decisively and quickly get control of Ukraine and, uh, yeah, and uh, put it as fait accompli in front of the international community, and, and it's over, it's already too late to react. And you are saying that maybe China will observe what's going on between Russia and Ukraine and uh, reshape its strategy and uh, uh, be drawn into forceful reclamation of taiwan uh, well if,
1: if if they drew they the did. right if they drew i think the if if they drew the right conclusions they, the they, right won't conclusion, able, the they, they won't be able they do not it anytime soon hmm? yeah but dictatorships don't i mean oh. you know i also think uh-huh. that the, the, the kremlin uh you know has a country that you know is twice as large as any other country full of natural mm-hmm. resources and could be a very wealthy country if it were well managed uh, right. Uh, but it's we should not war. Right. Yeah, exactly. So th- instead they choose war. So it could be that in Beijing they also choose war despite overwhelming evidence that that it will be a costly uh um misadventure, you know, for uh for the army, for the navy, and for the country. It could be that uh, um you know a dictator only you know doesn't see a a you know a positive strategy as being um helpful to them personal right mm. um and so has to uh only choose a bad uh strategy or a strategy filled with you know death and destruction
0: i think also uh um even though many western uh countries until recently at least kind of cons- maybe consider ukraine a little bit like satellite of russia or, or or whatnot with with taiwan i think it's even more ambiguous for many countries uh, like the status and what happened there and that's something that's like not very good for taiwan and kind of plays uh, in in china's favor but let's get back to ukraine so uh <laughs> this year at defcon you um you presented your paper on computer hacks uh, in the russia-ukraine war um, right and um, first of all, that's a very great read and a very comprehensive report of various attacks Different. that I think all of our re- uh, readers uh, should should read to, uh, uh, our listeners uh, should read to. But um, I think a lot is going on, you know, since February twenty fourth, and. Uh, like we discussed before, it's not that Ukraine went black and and completely failed to defend. Um, actually, quite the opposite. Many industry leaders, and recently including um, the head of uh, GC, uh, GCHQ, um, kind of they announced that you know Ukraine might be the best country to defend uh, to defend their networks and to defend against cyber attacks. Which you know Ukraine never had this reputation of being a strong strong defender against cyber. Um, so what was um, Was that surprising to you or uh, did you expect that? And uh, also, why do you think that happened the way it did?
1: So I, I, when I was in government for, I was at the Pentagon for 20 years between 93 and 2013. And I had some, so I did four years at NATO as well. And then, because uh, I I'll tell you, in the '90s, my my job, I was an intelligence analyst, but I had a, a Russian language and a French language training uh, in government. So I had two languages, uh, and that led me to to Europe uh, to for for studies uh, and for work. I actually I studied Russian in Saint Petersburg in the '90s, uh, back when things were were better. And that was on a government to government, you know, a training program. Mm-hmm. So I have always said, well, one of the things that I tried to when I got back to Washington, I always thought, well, let me try to bring something back, right? Something useful and interesting. And some of the things I used to say is, you know, if you want to understand Russia, you have to either go to Russia or failing that, you know, go to Finland, go to Estonia, This was a little bit in before days when I think again people uh, in Washington uh, thought a lot about Ukraine, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But I had you know connections. I got to do some some business trips in in not only Russia but Finland and Estonia and Poland, you know. And I used to tell people in Washington, you got to get over there. You talk to people who speak the language, who you know who have Soviet or Warsaw Pact experience, who are who actually whose country borders. Uh, Russia. I'll tell you, a few years ago, I got invited to uh, give a keynote at the Latvian CERT conference, the computer emergency response team. So we had a video chat like this with sort of their board and, and I said, well, I said, what do you want me to talk about, you know, and all of them in unison said Russia right and so i said okay well that's easy you know that's a you know that's a um what, what, what don't you know about russia <laughs> no exactly <laughs> no no exactly if, if you if you're looking at me uh from my perspective it's actually um the americans uh you know who have only to gain right and so when i when i see in the in the newspaper that all oh, the americans are going to help the ukrainians or the americans are going to help the estonians you know I, I usually, one of the first things I think is, is the other way around, right? It's, you know, Americans are in desperate need of um, of the kind of expertise you you only get by growing up in Ukraine or growing up, you know, in the former Soviet Union or growing up in Finland, you know, where this is your area of expertise, because again, like, you know, I don't know if you heard this famous Sarah Palin uh, comment, uh, she's from uh alaska, alaska. Mm-hmm. she said i understand russia because i can see russia off my front porch you know it, which is not entirely no. true uh, <laughs> but, but of course not exactly uh, that
2: part of russia you need to understand
1: <laughs> exactly uh but anyway but the point is well taken i think in that if you if you want to understand something you know yeah you know, you know um you know, in America, it's not that you, easy. You're absolutely
2: right, because, you know, very late in my life, I started to uh, read uh, some historic uh, books of uh, Western authors. It, it surprised me uh, really strongly, like, how how well Anne Applebaum understands what's been going on behind Iron Curtain mm. in uh, Warsaw Pact countries and in Russia. But then I, I learned that she spent... Uh, 20 something years being married to Polish politician and actually living in Poland. And it all just okay. <laughs> came out naturally, you know. Yeah. You have to have yeah, first hand yeah. experience.
1: Yeah. So anyway, the United States only has to gain uh from working with, with Ukraine, right? Uh and what little expertise we can bring to bear, I I think, you know, let's say vis-a-vis. Your, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, you know, it. we have to be very humble uh, and very and realistic about, you know, what we can offer. You know, that said, of course, I think there is huge success story currently in terms of collaboration, cooperation, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, it's Microsoft uh, or Amazon or uh, Starlink, these are stories, uh, you know, that are incredibly important in in the in the current struggle, Mm -hmm. I think it's it's the power of collaboration, the power of um, of unanimity in the face of uh, let's call it evil. It is when you when it's an unprovoked invasion. In my opinion, you know, it's it's uh, there's no justification, uh, it's only power, it's only violence and aggression in support of dictatorship and and theft and criminality. That's absolutely what I believe. And I think we've seen in the response, you know, um, countries even far away coming in the planet coming to support Ukraine. And Ukrainians' desire, their understanding of, of what's happening and their, their resolute, you know, steadfast defense of their country, uh, you know, has been uh, an inspiration for all of us, for sure. So I think that, that it, it, it's not only, you know, Ukraine, uh, it's a story of improvement in cyber defense. It's, an, it's a story of collaboration uh, and a desire to and the necessity to choose as well that's why I'm really watching closely what happens in Paris and Berlin I think because these they need to make the right choices in this tough time I think but with Finland and Sweden basically saying hey the t- you know we've been we've been on the fence for decades uh, but everything changed on February 24th. Uh, mm-hmm. So we we have to make this decision that we really wanted to make anyway, but we were afraid to make. You know, we believed Russian propaganda, or, you know, we were afraid of losing our independence, losing our, our um, unique uh, national characteristics. Well, you know, in the face of such unprovoked violence, I think that, you know, people need to, or people will often be forced to make a choice that they know is correct anyway they were afraid afraid to articulate it
0: mm-hmm. i think what to sum it up i guess you uh you could also say that the key to kind of successful defense of ukraine was first uh kind of understanding the threat correctly and you know expecting the right things from the threat being prepared for it in terms of at least like even just mental state right and kind of understanding Russia, so to speak, as you said, as well as cooperation with pretty much the entire world uh, to to defend. So even if we didn't have like technolo- technological advancements, just the the sheer effort of people and uh, um, and cooperation kind of in unity that everyone started acting in is is something that kind of helped us. Uh, defend, is that right?
2: But but technology as well, as you stated in the paper, the advancement in defense that's been going on during the last decade, it's uh, it's evident, right? So first, resilience has improved because now you can build more reliable systems, just simply because uh, public cloud is much more difficult to put down <laughs> using a cyber attack. Right. so if you if your architecture is right you will be more or less resilient and second the time of response has improved pretty much recently but still it has right so IOCs are exchanged almost in real time you just need to have the right uh, social network of firsts and certs and all the other uh, commercial providers and you will be you will have uh, good chances to withstand uh, even a very serious attack right
1: Yeah, Uh I think so. Another country I lived in was in in Luxembourg, right? And they've got about 300 regular army troops uh, in in Luxembourg. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because of the banking sector, they would have many times that in terms of IT uh, security experts, right? And so that's really interesting, because then countries like Iceland and Estonia and and small countries that, you know, that uh, they play an outsized role in cybersecurity, and so, uh, you do, know, this do you is think
2: because, Georgia do, as
1: well. Mm-hmm.
2: Don't you think it's because they have to balance this uh, asymmetry in force? They don't have conventional force. So that's why they are naturally drawn to conclude that uh, improving cyber component will do them well.
1: For sure. I, I think it's a focused mind uh, as well, uh, you know, in the in the face of uh, I went to a Finnish military conference many, many years ago. Uh, and uh, so I asked the colonel, I said, I said, how much of your focus and time and attention is on Russia? And he was on stage, right? He said, 100. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. And so
0: <laughs> so that was
1: I'll, I'll never forget that comment because then everybody laughs you know it was a huge uh, a group of american military officers that were there kind of for a joint uh you know um conference with the Finns. you know another thing is the size in estonia so in 2007 estonia got all of these uh applause from around the world for having uh successfully you know, understood the DDoS attacks and and filtered the bad traffic and kept its uh, institutions online. And so, so back then they, you know, all these you know experts were coming in, and I got to be the lucky uh, you know U.S. guy there that you know was uh, facilitating some of this dialogue. Uh, and a lot of the the Estonian response, uh, they said, "How are you able to do it? How were you able to defend your country?" And and so often the Estonians said. Sauna, right? So you know, banya, right? The the uh, we know each <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> other because we sit in a you know a uh, hundred degree sauna, you know, uh, drinking together every yeah. week. All the cyber experts of Estonia, you know, they get together uh, and they you know they go into the room where there's no electronic devices allowed, right? Uh, and so you you have to be transparent. And forthright, right, in your discussion. Don't
0: don't underestimate the power of social connections, especially when all people are naked.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, that's another story, uh, you know, from my, you know, cybersecurity, uh, you know, uh, past, uh, which is, you know, Estonia say, hey, if you want to know cybersecurity, you got to come to sauna with us. And and the Americans were like, you know, we have never been in a sauna before. That sounds scary. Uh, and so we're, we're missing the out same, right
2: they have the same thing in russia yeah why, why there are not so many uh, successful russian politicians i mean female ones because they cannot go to bona so-
1: <laughs> exactly right uh so the country is too big though i think in part what the estonians were saying is the size of their country is a benefit in cybersecurity uh they all the experts know each other uh mm-hmm they they um they know whom to call and 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 like you said, you know back then today it might be quicker to get Iocs back then it was probably harder, yeah definitely. I know
0: we're running a little bit over, but if if type permits, I would like to cover just like two, two, two more small things um so one is um obviously there's been a lot of effort to defend, but also we had a, a lot of hacktivists, uh, a lot of things going on, you know uh, where. Ukraine tries to to show a little bit of offense towards Russia as well. And we have our uh, groups of activists, so to speak. So was there something um, surprising or impressive uh, to you uh, as you know, as they acted and uh, some of their maybe successes or whatever we can talk about uh, publicly?
1: Yeah, so there's as an analyst, you know, and especially an open source analysis like this um is necessarily incomplete and i think even if you're on the you know deep uh undercover work you also one of the ironies is is you're also kind of uh looking at the world through a straw you know so uh so even if you know you're you know at a three-letter agency you you might be so focused on some some element of the conflict that you miss the bigger picture there's two two things, uh, or two incidents or attacks in the paper that I, I suggest may have been the biggest hack of the war, uh, for, and so one is, you know, pro-Russia and one is uh, pro-Ukraine, and I don't know that this is correct. It's, it's just a feeling you get from, you know, reading a bunch of, uh, of, um, analyses and, and thinking about it. Um, <clears throat> so the Viasat Attack right at the beginning of the war. Clearly, the timing of it uh, and the um, the loss of comms, uh, you know, at the outset of the war uh, is is definitely something that will be studied by militaries and intelligence agencies around the world yeah. as much as they can to understand how a military, you know, what a military would do uh, just prior to an invasion, just prior to the onset of war. And so, uh, according to the Ukrainian government, I think it was an immediate and significant impact on operations, right? Uh, and then there was the collateral damage as well elsewhere in Europe that seems to indicate that that the russians were were happy to to um to see collateral damage as a result of the operation. It was that important, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was the in in Belarus the 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 Belarusian partisans and the the um, the railroad uh, hacks that again were at the very beginning of the war. And Washington Post has a long article on this topic in which uh, the author suggests that it contributed to chaos at the start of the war from the Russian side, the inability to move troops and material, uh, effectively and efficiently through, through Belarus Mm -hmm. may have contributed to the, the 40 mile convoy that is so Mm -hmm. infamous that we're sitting ducks. Um, you know, those are a a couple of, you know, potentially computer network operations that, that were, that at least will be will be dissected in detail by you know intelligence agencies and militaries to understand you know were they real were they uh, effective because um, I think we we know now that you mean, the Russians wanted to take Ukraine very quickly and that failed uh, so what were the you know the most important con- factors that contributed to the strategic failure of the Russian plan it could be that it was going to fail anyway. But from a hacker perspective, that initial assault on, on Kiev, you know, from the north and from the area of Kharkiv, you know, to the northeast, my guess is, is that hackers, pro-Ukraine hackers, were engaged in maybe hundreds or thousands of operations to slow down the Rush, the, the Russian invasion and to help to defend ukraine to defend kiev defend zelensky uh at the outset of the war and again a little bit like the 2016 election in 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 washington uh you know was was the hack successful it could be impossible to say we may not mm-hmm. ever know um but again, there'll be a thousand PhDs written on the battle of for Kiev at the beginning of the war. The decision of Zelensky to stay uh, and defend the country that was huge. Uh, that was incredibly powerful uh, statement. For me, I, I gave a couple of talks on on Ukraine to a couple of conferences some months ago, and and I kind of ended with the uh, the picture of Zelensky and his um, his closest advisors there. Uh, you know, in the days after the invasion, you know when they remember when they came out and Zelensky said, I am here. Ministers here, ministers here. We are defending the country. you know, we're not going anywhere. Mm. Um, so it's the, it's the connectivity, uh, It's the reach of you know information power, information operations, uh, not only to within Ukraine, uh, but around the world, like right? Zelensky has been a genius, I think, um, visually and uh, in terms of what he says to the the Knesset in Israel or to uh, you know uh, in Germany and France and in, in, in Washington, he speaks to he speaks to foreign governments uh, in languages that they can understand. He's a genius, and so the you know his decision to stay in Kiev. Uh, and the incredible success story, I think, of, of defending uh, the capital against the Russian attack in the first uh, couple of weeks of the war are incredible. And, and I would think that, you know, from our perspective, from the cyber perspective or the hacker perspective, the element of the defense of Kiev that was cyber that was computer network operations is key, I think, at mm-hmm. least to understand it, right And so I would think that three letter agencies in you know several dozen countries have you know we'll be studying it, it. We'll be studying it in great detail, right uh, yeah and especially
2: because sure. uh, both attacks <laughs> that you highlighted uh, are actual cyber warfare network operations, right? Because they are well aligned with the uh, operational activity on the ground and they maintain certain level of support to what's going on in other domains. So by definition, these, this is cyber war, right? So I do not Absolutely. like the term, but if anything is cyber warfare, that's not not beta. That's this stuff, key set And the uh, uh, presumably uh, what's been going on in Belarusia and it's railway
0: presumably right yeah that's correct. Um, yeah i think the last thing that i i would be super interested to ask is um since uh Tarashevchenko is actually my grandma's alma mater i was wondering what was your experience there like uh, what did you talk there about and uh basically what what was your impression from the people uh
1: so sometimes in life you have to take uh I mean just speaking from a personal perspective. Um, so one, one door closed uh, and two open, right? Uh mm-hmm. so I was working for FireEye at the time, and and they said uh um I was gonna move to Kiev in, in 2014, and they said, Okay, no problem. But then they gave it to the lawyers and the lawyers said no, I'd have to move to Poland. Oh, I remember that story. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so and so that's fine. Uh, you know, so well, you just insure, have to think, insurance or so well, It's due to insurance.
2: insurance, right? Corporate situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, you, you give it to lawyers, and they're going to say, "No, that's uh, going <laughs> to happen." <laughs> so, so what? One of my bosses at Fire, I said, "The lawyer said that uh, you know it's a country at war," and this was 2014. Yeah. So, anyway, so you know, I did other things that were ultimately more fulfilling. You know, I I I worked with the authors to do the book uh, on, uh, post Maidan, there was a lot of, uh, cyber attacks to think about. And so we, we did a book on the topic. Um, <clears throat> and then I got to know some, uh, professors at the university, chiefly in the, the legal, uh, um, faculty. Uh, mm-hmm. but I just started talking to them about doing a class on, on cybersecurity and, and, uh, and I did do a PhD in, in Estonia while I was there because I was there for four years and the way they've designed the NATO cyber center there uh, and the Ukrainian flag is up at the cyber center, by the way, just to m- make sure everybody knows that, uh, the Estonia is, is a uh, vocal. Um,
0: yeah, uh, we're lucky to have some of the partners that we have.
1: Yeah, and so one of the things, if you go to the cyber center, if anybody listening to this podcast, um, uh, one of the things, first things they'll ask you, and I got to be the first. I was the first, actually, international researcher posted there in twenty seven, two hundred seven. Um, they'll ask you, do you want to do a PhD? Uh, and then they'll put you in like Tallinn Technical University. And then during your tour there, you'll also go to the university and do classes, and 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 uh, uh, and you'll write a dissertation. Mm. So, uh, so I really wanted some. From a personal perspective, some the ability to teach. Uh, I didn't care at what level; could be kindergarten or or uh, um, college level. Um, but I was so lucky, you know. We lived we lived downtown, and I could walk over to the university. Two of my favorite things to do in Kiev were the opera and go to the 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 university. And so, so yeah, I got to teach a class on cybersecurity for two and a half years. <clears throat> Even when I lived in Canada, I I taught uh, at least one semester into 2017, and uh, yeah, and I tried to evolve the topic. You know, cybersecurity is is one of those things. As as our listeners uh, will know, is it's a big topic that it's kind of like international relations, or you know, what is IR? You know, it's a bit of history and a bit of politics and a bit of military, Mm -hmm. a bit of diplomacy and a bit of intelligence. You you have to you know you you think about uh, a, a broad array of topics and and so with cybersecurity, but you bring in you know you try to bring in the the um, hacks right computer hacks and so I know for example DefCon they're very allergic to the word cyber right they don't like it but I've been able to get fully nine talks through the, the system there the process by trying to tie computer hacking to intelligence, to politics, uh, you know, I did it to to human rights, Arab-Israeli conflict, um, stuff like that, right? And so I always look at it through the lens of an intelligence analyst, you know, what would, what would the White House be interested in today? Um, and part of that, you know, we talked earlier about give me a bit of cyber. Um, I think that, that, uh, that has probably also come a long way. I think maybe some smart <laughs> leaders get it, um, but they probably Just live by Some, some, some like people Estonia. had
2: more time, you know, said more time to to learn that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, some countries, I think like Estonia uh, or Finland or something, you know, they, they inherently get it a little bit better. Uh, Zelensky, I think, is one of the takeaways from the current conflict is that the the information operations uh sometimes can blow a cyber operation or computer network operation uh, away
2: Is one of the conclusions in your paper yeah information
1: i think connectivity and uh and the um you know the ability to to the, the reach of you know keeping online and and that's a, a story of course of, of the current conflict as well you would one would think that ukraine would be offline right yeah uh, if you so that's if Russia invade a country then they're going to knock it offline first mm-hmm. uh, but that absolutely hasn't happened and i think in in first and foremost because you know ukraine's defense of its own country uh, but it's nice to have, you know, EU and NATO and, and IT firms and IT security firms that are also supporting you. I, I think it's a story. And this as well, I think that that cyberspace, and I think by extension, cybersecurity and cyber defense, I think they're much more democratic than they are autocratic, right? Yeah. So um, dictators, they can, you know, they can point a gun at a hacker's head and say, you know. Steal me, cyber. Money. steal me some money right from from a bank and that that that'll work of course it works but it's not a strategic plan you know it's not a plan for for a country uh, and in that sense i think that that we've seen the exodus of scientists and writers and artists from russia right this is not a news story either this has been going on for 150 years Uh, you know, because of repression uh, and a lack of, you know, human rights and and press freedom, etc. And Ukraine has positioned itself as the antithesis of that, right? And so I think we are going to see, I think, uh, an an incredible amount of investment in Ukraine uh, in the near to medium and long term, because now Ukraine is synonymous, you know, with, with standing up for, you know, freedom uh, and standing up for independence. And that's, you know, and, you know, and it's not the outside players, I think. It's, it is absolutely Ukraine that is defending its own nation and its own people uh, and its own land. Um, but I think people are going to want to invest in that. Uh, both today and in the future,
0: Mr. Gers, thank you so much uh, for, for, first of all, for, for your words, but also for your time. It's been super interesting. I guess uh, usually when we wrap it up, uh, we just ask about uh, whether you have any message or advice to <clears throat> to our Ukrainian audience.
1: Yeah, it's you're an inspiration, I think, to the world, uh, and. You will absolutely continue to be uh, an an inspiration because uh, of the the threat posed by a dictator, right? Is real, uh, and you know it better than than I do. So I think that that uh, any advice uh, I have uh, for you uh, is not something that you don't already know, right? Uh, I am seeking to learn from Ukraine. Uh, and I think the West should be seeking uh, to learn from, from Ukraine. And so we can only do that though, I think with, with uh, collaboration and with communication. And so I think that uh, anything you need from me, please let me know. I'm kind of easy to find, I think in cyberspace, uh, you know, but I look forward to personally supporting uh, Ukraine um, and and coming there again very soon. And uh, I hope that uh, um, you know anything that I could offer you, I would rather uh, you know uh, learn from you. So let's uh, let's continue in communication and uh, collaboration. And that's Thank you about so much.
0: Thank you so much. We hugely appreciate it. And I would it's, say that uh, Mr. Gursoy one of the people who doesn't just support uh, with with words, but also like all your work is just a klondike for any kind of ukrainian cyber professional like i highly highly recommend reading all the reports and articles and books written by it because like it's really a klondike so thank you so much for all your work as well uh, uh, we Alex, do uh, uh, yeah we do have a question from audience so Kenneth, kind of, uh, if you have like two minutes of course uh, i i think like this is actually one of the topics that we didn't cover uh and um uh, so alex is asking it, uh, it's interesting to hear your opinion about development of ukrainian e-services and e-government in the last years so pretty much i guess before right before the war um, so do you think like we were similarly effective or less effective or something that could be done i guess right or
1: yeah well so when i lived in in ukraine i had the opportunity a few times to go to meetings where people would ask for my advice and and fortunately i had moved to to ukraine from from estonia so i so i i often said that that uh you know go talk to the estonians and the estonians w- were they are um they want to help and uh they want to um export as well, things like X-Road, their, their, um, you know, online government uh, products and services. Mm -hmm. And then Estonia, of course, couldn't do it without, uh, you know, international collaboration. So I remember once when I was there, they were, went to a a briefing on how, you know, all of Estonia was backed up in England, right, Uh, government services. Uh, And so, you know as as Lad mentioned earlier i think the cloud has been hugely uh helpful right in um in helping uh you know ukraine and other countries to remain uh, online and to remain uh, reliable right so you know so what gives you know money what gives government it's uh its credibility uh, it's um legitimacy is belief, right? And so um, you need for people to feel the, the reliability and the, the, um, another thing the Estonians have done well is to uh, try and use IT tools to chip away at corruption, right? So I can say Mm -hmm. in the United States, we, we really need this as well. Uh, We need to to use more transparency and digital tools to, for example, with blockchain, you can do pretty cool things with taxes and salaries and government payments and stuff. You can make them more public and transparent. Um, these are the kinds of things that whether you're in, you know, in Ukraine or, or the United States, or hopefully, not too long in the future, Russia, uh, you know, uh, take advantage of these tools, and it's the connectivity and the reliability as well. So I think that that Ukrainian government, again, it's it's this investment in things that we know that work and things that we um, see as uh, beneficial. Right. Uh, and so I, I I think that Ukraine is such a point in history that these decisions that it makes are um, so visible. Right. Everybody's watching and everybody's interested. Uh, and so it's the perfect time to kind of make the right decisions and to make uh investments that inspire and investments that foster credibility and and transparency and legitimacy. And so, yeah, all eyes are on Ukraine. And I I would say that uh, you can benefit from that. You can take advantage of that, especially with someone like Zelensky sort of um, being the spokesman uh, for the country. It is. it's incredibly valuable to have a, a voice, uh, and of course, Zelensky is going to to represent the Ukrainian government for the, it's just a person, but really powerful voice, incredibly uh, influential and compelling voice. But beneath that, of course, uh, you know, investing in in uh, in the kinds of things that uh, uh, will foster, I think, belief and when. Ukrainian citizens uh, look to its government, you know, what they want to see, I think, is more, uh, just like anywhere else in the world, more transparency, mm-hmm. uh, more clarity, mm-hmm. um, more reliability. Um, these are things that everybody wants. I mean, because we all think about our families ultimately and we want better schools, we want better infrastructure, we want better health care. I think that's true mm-hmm. in, in Russia and Ukraine in the United States and it's so easy though to get uh, trapped in in political uh, games uh but that's what we need to i think all of us uh uh mm-hmm. be focused on right is how to to improve uh, civil society democracy uh, etc and cyber of course can play a huge role in that effort
0: right and uh i, I think like uh, to be fair, a lot of infosec professionals, uh, especially in Ukraine, are often uh, critical of these efforts, uh, but at the same time, and I used to be pretty conservative uh, on this standpoint as well. You we should but go as, to as, sauna as... altogether. Yeah. <laughs> said, like, that's one <laughs> of my takeaways from this talk. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the takeaways, <laughs> but also as my career grew, I kind of now lean towards security is just one aspect and it's always about uh, benefits versus risks and as long as the benefits for the society outweigh uh, the the dangers outweigh the negatives it's still that's what progress essentially is that's why we have GPS now even though it would be safer for the US to never make it available to anyone in the world uh, so I'm also fairly optimistic in this regard and hope that we'll uh, we'll use this opportunity uh, to uh, to drive Ukraine and and also basically all of the world forward so thanks uh, thanks a lot it's been super incredible I'm super thankful for your time because we we did uh, um run over but we we covered a lot so uh it's super interesting and uh just thanks for uh, all your work you do once again uh we're super excited to you know to uh, learn more see the developments and hopefully after victory we'll we can have another episode that's more detailed than all the interesting intricate things uh, so looking forward to that as well
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's a pleasure and an honor, and I'm, I'm happy to help in any way I can.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, very
2: much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to No Name Podcast, Ukrainian podcast on cybersecurity. If you liked it, hit the thumbs up on YouTube or in your favorite podcast player and share it with your friends. While Ukraine keeps fighting for freedom and democratic values, we encourage you to help us by every means available to you. Your donations are also welcome at patreon.com slash podcast. All proceedings since the beginning of the war go to our trusted fund Come Back Alive. If you prefer to act more directly, just find the closest Ukrainian near you and ask them about the best way you can help. Stay safe and help us make victory faster. Slava Ukraini!